Praise God. I always correct him, so I need to make sure I praise him too. So, And uh, we're going to continue to hear what God has to say. So if you got your kids, kids can be dismissed for true fire. They can meet their teachers out in the back. Um, I, I, there's a word I'm going to get to that I believe God has uh, for us. And uh, it's going to fit with what we've been talking about. But um, did you ever try to do two things at once? You have to type in my password and talk to you at the same time, and it doesn't always work. And so sometimes I just need to shut up. And um, sometimes that's why I come up while the video announcements are still going, so I can do that before I start talking. There's a couple of things I need to, uh, I feel like I need to share that the Lord dropped in my, my spirit, and I'm going to try to share them really quick. Um, have you ever been in a weight room before anyone? You've ever been in a weight room or you've seen weight rooms, you've seen weightlifting? Okay. Um, you know that in order to build muscle, you actually have to tear your muscle. Okay, so you actually have to lift something heavier than you think you can lift, so the muscle tears, and that's why you don't lift every day because your muscle has to take time to um, restore so that you know you're stronger. So if you've seen guys in the weight room, I mean veins popping out, and they're pushing, and what are their friends doing? Come on, come on! I mean, that's what's happening. They're not mad at their friends, but they're like, come on, you got to, come on, get this up. And they're trying to, they're trying to like surge adrenaline in them. Okay. So for those of you that maybe thought I, I, today, I kind of felt like I was in a weight room, not yelling at you, but like, come on. Okay. So wanted to to share that with you. Um, The other thing is um, body language means a lot in worship. Um, Somebody called me on this one, Scott Holzemer. Some of you know him. He was a deacon one time and he came up to me. And he said, um, someone had called him on the phone. And as soon as he mentioned the name of this someone, I knew it was someone that the only time they ever call on the phone is when they had something negative to say. Um, and so um, instantly as he starts talking to me, I just did this. And so he stopped talking and he said, well, I can see by your body language that you're not even open to receiving what I'm about to share. And I was offended by that. Uh, he was exactly right, <laughs> but I was offended because body language showed him everything. I was closing up. I didn't want to hear what was about to be said because it couldn't be from God. I mean, can I tell you something? God speaks to you probably more through your enemies, through people who are offensive to you, than he does through your nice people. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Okay, and so when people offend you, um, make sure you dig into what God's going to say in that. And so, um, but body language, fill me up, God, fill me up, God, fill me up, God, fill me up, God, means a lot in worship. I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay, so just try to engage yourself, try to, to put yourself in God's shoes for a minute. If you were God and you were singing to God in that moment, well, how would you respond to that person? Okay, but luckily, you can do this, and your heart could be far from him, so he sees that too. Okay, so if your hands are up, but your heart is like on the the football game that starts at like 145 or whatever time today, if your heart's there, he sees that too, so align every part with him. Um, And then we're we're a spirit-filled church, and so gifts of the spirit are going to operate. I kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, We love patterns. We love patterns. We love to know what to do. That's why we teach people, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to have this syllable in your mind. Just speak that syllable out. Because we're trying to give people a pattern. Do you know, Jesus never taught patterns. He didn't teach the disciples, when you have a blind guy, this is how you get him healed. 
The reason he didn't go into great detail on the day of Pentecost, what was supposed to happen, and the reason there's no clear teaching on how you're supposed to respond to the Spirit is because you're supposed to just get lost in the Spirit and respond to him. Now, there are guidelines in the Scripture to help us make sure that we're not doing something in the flesh and blaming God for it. But I was in a Bible college situation once where a fourth person gave a message in tongues, and we had a professor that got up and said, you're out of order, that's the fourth tongue. Well, that's really not what that means. Paul is in no way implying that if there's four tongues in a service, then it's out of order. He's saying God is a God of order, and everything has its place. The pastor's preaching has a place. The music has a place. Testimonies have a place. Everything has a place. The problem is we only got an hour and 30 minutes because we got to get on with our busy lives. So we have to try to figure out how to get everything in its place. And for those of you that say, well, God will never move in an hour and a half. Let there be light. Instantly there was light. So, you know, you can, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on there. Um, There's an extremism, but I'm looking for Jesus and I know that he can do anything at any time. And so, um, where is it going with that? Oh, so then, so um, sometimes people give a message in tongues that's really just like uh, a a praise that kind of overflows and got too loud. I'm not worried about that, okay? I would rather that happen and have there no be no interpretation for then for all of us to sit here disengaged and, you know, do nothing. So uh, things are going to happen, and it doesn't mean it's a sin or a grave error. Uh, We're looking for patterns. If, like, every single Sunday we come, the pastor stops preaching, and all we do is wait for words, and if, if this becomes a pattern, we'll correct that. But I want to see God move, and he's not going to move if we don't give him room to move. You know why we tithe? We give God room to move in our finances. Because the tithe actually predates the law. I don't know why I'm talking about tithing right now. But it predates the law, okay? And so what you're saying is, God, I believe in you. You're going to do more with 90% than you can do with 100%, and I'm going to make room to see you move. See, we all want God to move, but we don't want to give him room. God, bless my finances, but I don't want to give you any room to bless my finances. So that's all all for that. And then the last thing, I need to tell you a story. Um, It's a story about a... a, um, someone who was a part of this church that moved away. And so for those of you that are already trying to process who it is, it's, it's not important. One time when I was a young pastor, this church had been through splits. It had, had, it had a bad reputation in the community. There were all kinds of yuck. And uh, I actually, at 23 years old, didn't really, 22 years old, didn't think I should pastor this church. I thought it took someone smarter than me. And uh, someone gave me a word and said, no, they don't need someone who knows everything. They need someone who's willing to grow with them. And uh, that resonated in my spirit, and so I became the pastor of the church in 2000. Somewhere along the line, in the middle of a sermon, outside of my notes, I said something about the history of the church, and it was time to drop it. It was time to let it go. And uh, I didn't plan to say it. So someone came into my office that week, and they, they scolded me. They said, uh, Pastor, you really need to stop talking about this because we don't want new people to know about the past and the history, and it's going to deter them from coming. And we really did, we have put that behind us. And I said, I, I'm so, I wasn't even in my notes. I don't know why I brought it up. I'm sorry that it upset you. I didn't mean it. And, uh, and I, I, I apologize. I, I said what I thought the Lord laid on my heart to say, and I, if I'm wrong, I, I apologize. Kid you not. Three days later, my phone rings. Pastor? Uh, We just wanted you to know this morning when we were praying, 
um, the Lord reminded us of some letters that we had received from people who left the church, and um, they, it was hate mail. It was letters that the Lord was going to close that church down. It was uh, false prophecy. They were prophesying, they thought for the Lord, um, that this church was going to, all these things were going to happen, and God was going to judge, blah, 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 blah. Well, we saved those in our safe. You saved them in your safe? And they said, this morning, the Lord convicted us, and we took them out to the burn barrel, and we just thought you should know. Thanks. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. I don't know what all that means for you, but uh, there it is. So some of you were looking for the point, but uh, maybe, maybe the Lord will show you what that point is. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 12. We are going to move through our second week of Awakening Pure Worship. Uh, this is a, a profound message. Um, it's based on a book by Jeff Deal. Uh, called Awakening Pure Worship. And last week in our small groups, we read the first uh, two chapters of the book, the introduction, that kind of gives us Jeff's story. As he begins to talk about how he was awakened to true worship, he grew up in a traditional church background, two songs, sermon, go home kind of thing. And so for him, worship was a foreign concept. And so he has grown in worship over the years and uh, has told his story. And I came across this book in July of last year before it was published, because uh, he's a professor at North Central University, and so him and I are Facebook friends. Uh, now we're real friends. Uh, before, we were just Facebook friends. And uh, I reached out to him because he was putting these quotes on, and the quotes actually matched what God was doing in my heart. Because back in September of 2017, I really felt like the Lord put on my heart to stop asking for him to intervene in situations and just start seeking him. Don't seek me for what to preach. Just seek me and you'll never lack for what to preach. Don't seek me for what you can do. Just seek me and what to do will fall into its place. That's literally what I felt like he was putting in my heart. So I started doing it. Whatever the Lord laid in my heart in prayer. And it started working. Now, during these, this year and a half, there have been times where I get away from that. And I really sense, because once start God, God starts doing stuff in your life, then there's this pressure to keep it going. You know what I mean? Maybe you don't know what I mean, but for me as a pastor, once God starts doing stuff, I feel the pressure, I got to keep that going. Well, if I didn't start it, I don't got to keep it going. And the pressure to keep it going sometimes keeps us away from pursuing him, and we start pursuing what's going to keep it going, and then we get frustrated, and it doesn't keep going because we stopped what got it going in the first place. Does that make sense? So I asked him for a copy of the book. He sent me the book. I read it, studied it. Uh, I've read it twice, uh, and I've, now I'm on my third time through. And the essence of the book is this idea that we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. You and I have been given the most unimaginable invitation in all of the world to be intimate with the God who created everything. Amen. And that gets lost on us. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if we even process what that means or looks like. Not that God wants you to come here and visit him every Sunday, but he wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be so intimate with you. He wants to share secrets with you. I mean, this is what we've been called to. And, and so last week, we started defining what worship is. And this week, we're, we're kind of looking at another aspect of worship and maybe defining it a little more. 
Worship is life. I mean, we've got this thing called a worship service, and we've got these things called worship leaders, and we've got worship songs, and we've got worship nights, and we've got worship radio, and we've got worship conferences, and most of our definitions of worship tend to center around music. And while music is a tool in worship, or music is a part of worship, it's so much more than that. And over the last several years in the church, we've really become intentional about that, and we've really tried to stop saying that this is just the only thing in worship, and we've begun to understand. Well, Romans 12.1 gives us the best picture of what worship really is. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. See, the true way to worship God isn't about raising my hands. It's just about giving him my body. And so as I give him my body, my hands go up. See, I didn't write the Psalms where it says, lift your hands, clap your hands, dance before him, shout for joy. I didn't write that. Okay? It's not my preference. I would not like to do that. I mean, I am not by nature, I know some of you that know me now maybe know I'm a little more out the box than I used to be, but um, that's not who I am. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Let me be really, really, really real with you for a minute. There have been countless times I have felt like dancing all over this room, and I haven't because I'm going to look stupid. I can't even dance. Maybe I would dance better when I wasn't trying. Okay, because when I try, I look stupid. When I go to weddings, I don't dance because I look stupid. I don't, it's not because it's a sin to me. I just look stupid. And looking stupid is a sin to me. <laughs> and so it, for those of you that say, I'll just worship in my style, this isn't my style either. Okay? And God has a style, and he's written a book on it, and we need to practice worship. There are times, I'll just be a little more honest, there are times I dance all over the place when nobody's here. Me and Jesus. And it feels so good. And someday, I hope you don't get to see it, but I hope you get to participate in it. Because if you're seeing it, then your eyes are on me and not on him. But, uh, you know, for the longest time, people are like, do you ever see what that one guy does during worship? I'm like, no, because I'm not looking at that guy. I'm actually looking at Jesus in that moment. So, anyway. But, I got to keep going because we got a lot to cover. Living living sacrifice, okay, so not like a dead sacrifice, but meaning our lives, living, and holy doesn't mean I'm a well-behaved person, it's a set-apart person, so a, a living and totally surrendered, set-apart-for-God person, that's worship, okay, worship doesn't mean uh, I, I'm, I do everything right, worship means, God, I'm totally yours, whatever you want, whatever you ask, and how many of you know that's a process? Obviously it is because there's times I felt like dancing, maybe even felt like God put it on my heart, and I didn't. So I'm not totally his yet, but I'm trying and I'm pressing into that. So I, I think when I come to the place where he's all that matters, I mean, we sing that song, you're all that matters, but we don't really mean that. But when he does become all that matters, then everything's going to go out the window. So how do we learn to worship with our whole lives? And what I, I've got this, this thing here. And so giving our lives is a worship to God. Because, you know, we've, we've got money, 
okay, in our lives, and, and some of us go to school, whether you're a teenager or, you know, you're in college, and, and then we've got work, and we've got to figure out how to get everything into our lives, and some of us are married, so we've got a spouse, and I've got to figure out where that goes in my life, and, and friends, and I mean, I, I, I don't know if we go from the top up or the top, so do friends go under spouse or do spouse go, I mean, we've got to, i got to get these priorities right, where do my kids go, and my kids got to get in there somewhere, and, and then I, I, I want to exercise, I want to be healthy, and so I've got to get that in there somewhere because it makes me feel good and I need to do it, and uh, hobbies, I love hobbies, do you, does everyone, I like to read, I like to, to run, and i got to find a place to put that in my life, and so I've got to get that in there, and uh, ministry. And so if you're not a Christian, uh, maybe you just call it service. I want to serve. I want to be in a service club. I, you know, and I, I want to find where to put that in my life and, and entertainment. I, I, I want to go to a movie. I want to go places. And I, a vacation. I want to go on vacation. Anybody want to go on vacation? I want to go on vacation. I mean, vacation isn't a sin. And, so, and then sports. Praise the Lord there's a place for sports. Um, because, you know, it's hockey season and, and it's football playoffs. And, and so here's our life. And we're like... And at different seasons, we're moving stuff around, and, you know, we got to prioritize, and we got to try to figure it out. But the, the thing is, is we come into this relationship with God, and then we're like, okay, so where do I put God in all this? I mean, he's, he's on the top of my life. God, you are, there you are. God, you are the top. And then some of us are like, you know, if I was really cool, I could, like, attach them all together, lift it up, and put God on the bottom. And, you know, but, you know, where do, where do we put him? I mean, he's got to come maybe... Maybe we put God there. No, that doesn't look right. Maybe God needs to be next to ministry because we want ministry to be God. And, and, you know, and this is how we try to live our lives, compartmentally. You know, I get up and I have my devotion. I got to have devotions. I got to seek God. I'm, I got to go to church on Sunday. God's in his box. But here's the thing. He's not supposed to be a box. He's not. Okay, this is what's supposed to happen. When we come into a relationship with God, he's the bottom. But not like this. Like this. Because God wants not just a part of us. He wants to touch every part of us. Everything is worship. How I do money is worship. How I train my kids is worship. My hobbies are worship. Exercise is worship. It's not that when I'm, when I'm in the secret place with God, I'm being all spiritual and I'm loving God. And then when I go out and, and I'm watching football, well then, you know, that's not spiritual. We, we are not supposed to be in and out of the Spirit. We're supposed to be full of the Spirit. That doesn't mean I don't get to do hobbies. It doesn't mean I never get to go to a movie. It doesn't mean I don't get to get married or I don't get to spend money. Or I don't. It just means I want God to touch everything. That's our spiritual act of worship. And that's what it's supposed to look like. And so when we start talking about God being our life, that's what it should be. Every part of our lives, he touches. In fact, our lives only have meaning because of him. Our lives are only enjoyable because of him. Every category in my life only exists because he supports it. And that's true. Worship is just acknowledging that truth. Do you understand that? These categories only exist because of God. To worship him means to acknowledge that truth. Because here's the thing. You, you say, well, but I know people who don't know God. And they have meaningful, enjoyable lives. Yes, because of God. 
You don't have to believe it for it to be truth. Because someone doesn't believe God exists does not mean God withdraws from that person. In fact, if God withdraws from that person, they will no longer be a person. It's in him that we live and move and exist. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. If he got away from you, when you say, God, get away from me, if he actually listened to you and did that, you would cease to exist because you exist because of him. Hebrews chapter 1, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. So he's calling us to worship him in our relationships, in our families, in our words, in our thoughts, in our creativity, in our eating. Mmm. Thank God for this yummy steak. Mmm. Thank God for these vegetables. Mmm. I mean, every area of our lives should be worship because worship is life and life is worship. You've heard me talk about Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a six, he was a monk in France in the 1600s, and he was a, a monk. If you know, monks go live in a monastery, and they separate just excessive amounts of time to just worship God and think about God and meditate on God. They take vows of silence and don't speak just so we can focus on God. And they want to get closer to God, and the way to do that is to separate themselves from everything else. But Brother Lawrence, in, those, in that place... Realized that's not the key to knowing God. And he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence. And he actually didn't write it. It's just a collection of his writings that someone else put in book form. And this is a quote from his book. Our sanctification does not depend as much on changing our activities as it does on doing them for God rather than ourselves. He's not talking about sinful activities. He's just talking about life. In order to know God more, I don't necessarily need to, to, to stop doing everything. I need to find a way to get God into every area of my life. He believed it would be a mistake to think of prayer time as different than any other time. And the reason that some of us have difficulty knowing what to say in prayer time is because we don't talk to God any other time. If we would talk to him all day, when we got to prayer, we might know what to say. And so our actions actually bring God into the everyday area of our lives. We're not jumping from spiritual things to non-spiritual things. We are spirit beings. His spirit lives inside of us. And so the crazy thing is, Brother Lawrence's book is called Practicing the Presence. And if you've ever opened it, maybe you were thinking you were going to find out about prayer and fasting and solitude and all of those good monk things. But you know what you find? You find him washing the dishes. That's what he was doing. He wanted his time in the kitchen washing dishes to be just as sacred as when he was in the prayer room. Does this, does this resonate with anybody? I mean, I hope so, because it's resonating with me all over the place. But anyway, everything in our lives should be worship. Now, we, yes, we should spend time with God in the secret place. Yes, we should read the Word. Yes, we should pray. Yes, we should sing. Yes, we should worship. Yes, we should even set apart time to get into the presence even more than we do. Yes, we should grow in that. But not meaning that that's all we should do. People who think that they're more spiritual because all they do is pray and all they do is fast. How, how's anyone going to get anything from you? 
I mean, if all God wanted you to do was be in his presence, he'd take you home. There's more to it than that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So just because we don't do things in our lives as worship to the Lord doesn't mean that they cease to be worship. Oh, they're worship. They're either worship of self. They're either worship of man. They're either worship of your spouse. I mean, we're worshiping somebody when we do this. We could even be worship to the kingdom of darkness. But we want everything in our lives to be worship to God. Now, a word of caution here. Because as we start to understand that every part of our lives is worship, we're tempted. We're tempted to start getting our identity from our doing and not our being. Is it Cody Parker? Is he the kicker for the Bears? Do you, is, does anyone know? Does anybody care? <laughs> anyway, his name, he was on the Today Show. Remember, he missed the kick, and everyone was all hard on him because he missed the kick. But then we found out it was blocked the next day. So everybody who booed him leaving the field, hmm, yeah. So I hope you all wrote letters of apology to him because he, it was blocked. So maybe you should have been booing the linemen and not the kicker. Just saying. Well, yeah, but he missed kicks all season long. Yeah, we all, nobody ever wants to admit I was wrong. It's called humility, and God loves it, and he's attracted to it. But anyway, he's on the Today Show, and I love this. He says, uh, a kicker is, is not who I am. It's what I do. Oh. In fact, after he missed the kick, he pointed to, you know, we do that when we score a touchdown. Thank you, God. He missed the kick, and he praised God. And then he went over with the other team and he knelt down and he prayed. And he talked about how he loves to do that and prays for safety as the other team travels home. And they're, you know, because it's a game. It's what I do. It's not who I am. And it's, we're tempted to get our identity because we, we live in a culture that identifies with that. When you walk up to someone and you meet them for the first time, you say, hey, 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 what do you, what do you do? What do you do? Because we attach identity with what people do. When we tell our kids, hey, what are you going to be when you grow up? And by be, we mean do. It's a part of our culture. But my identity in the kingdom is son of God, not what I do. It's not pastor. That's not my identity. Preacher is not an identity. It's what I do. Even worshiper is not my identity. My identity is son of God. And out of my identity, out of my being his child, flows my doing. In our culture, we're incredibly consumed by doing, and we risk trying to prove our being with our doing. Now, here's the thing. God has put in us a drive to accomplish, to create to succeed. It's God-given. In fact, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, you were created again in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance. He wants you to do great things. He wants you to overcome. He wants you to stand strong. He wants you to help the helpless. He wants you to reach the lost. He wants you to give to the poor. He wants you to accomplish, accomplish impossible tasks. He wants you to worship him through your doing. The problem is we go at it backwards. You and I believe that we will become someone great because we do something great. That's what our whole world is looking in. I will become something great once I do something great. 
American Idol, every, every thing we do. Every one of those TV shows, you know, reality TV, I want to do something great so I can become someone great. But in the kingdom, you become someone great, and out of that becoming, that's where we do great things. And then once we start doing great things, the pressure to keep doing those great things tries to crowd God out. And we got to fight that. In the book, Jeff says it this way, God's plan has never been for us to achieve greatness as a result of doing great things, but to do great things as a result of the greatness he has put within us. See, our calling in Hosea chapter 6, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond as surely as the arrival of the dawn. How many of you had to get up early to make sure the sun came up today? I'm not talking about you got up to watch it come up, but you were like concerned it was not going to come up, so you had to get up to make it come up. No, you just assumed it would come up. Here's the same assumption. If you press in to know him, he will come. That means if all through the day you just start centering your thoughts, every, every activity I'm doing, you just start asking yourself, God, where are you in this moment? What do you want in this moment? Or you just picture him when you're sitting with your family playing a game and you're all laughing. Picture God sitting there smiling. He loves that. And stop feeling guilty that you're not spending more time in the Bible. Just be in the, with your family in that moment. Does that make sense? See, the enemy tries to, to, to crowd out. We got to just do, we got to do, we got to do. And then we get burned out. No pastor ever burns out in ministry because they spent too much time at the feet of Jesus. It's because we try to maintain our doing. But knowing God precedes being godly, and being godly precedes what we do. I mean, how many of you want to do great things for God this week? You want to do great things? I want to do great things. But we have to understand that my, the great things, that it has to flow out of my relationship with God. Otherwise, I get my identity in the doing. God wants us to leave our mark on the world. He wants us to serve. He wants us to help. He wants us to give. He wants us to love. He wants us to excel in music and in dance and in theater and in writing. He wants us to be a great accountant. He wants us to be a great lawyer or a physician or even to work in IT. He wants everything. He's placed those giftings in us, but seek him first. Seek him first so that our doing flows out of our being. Here's the thing. So far, most of you are like, oh, this is not earth shattering. This is not new revelation to me. I know it. But here's the thing. If both of we would just be honest and step back, most of our lives is about doing, not being. He's not, I mean, these are things we know, but we're not putting them into practice. And we have all the excuses why. Oh, in the next season of my life, once my kids get over this age, once my, my spouse gets saved, or once, you know, I don't have to work as many hours, once, once I get through this season, then I'll be able to do that better. And you know what happens? We get into the new season and nothing changes. Remember when Jesus said to the, the, in the story that if they see someone rise from the dead, they're not going to believe that any more than if they believe the words they already have, the, the words of Moses and the prophets. 
And the, the human nature is, if I could just get to this place. And we look at other people who are all-in worshipers for God, and we're like, well, you know, if they were only in the situation that I was in. Just, just press in. Just press in more. You don't have to press in like that person or this person. You don't have to pray all night. Just instead of praying three minutes a day, pray five. Instead of just praying and then getting on with your day, start thinking about God all through the day. Set a 15-minute alert on your phone to buzz you every 15 minutes and God. You, I mean, you got to do something because otherwise we just start living thoughtlessly. Remember we talked last week? We can't live thoughtlessly. We've got to make the most of every opportunity. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And so many Christians, we are trying our best to produce fruit. Oh, I am going to produce fruit today if it kills me. I am going to be peaceful at work today in Jesus' name. You, you cannot produce fruit apart from him. In fact, when we're not yielding fruit, it's because the connection with him has been severed. We've believed a lie. We've believed that this circumstance has more power. This person has more power than he does. We've lost our connection. And that's why we're not bearing fruit. How do I get connected? I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will produce much fruit. You will. All you got to do is be connected to me. If you are, if you are disappointed in the lack of fruit in your life, you've got to connect to him. And that doesn't just mean you got to spend more time in prayer. Maybe you're spending an hour in the morning in prayer, but you're disconnected once you leave the quiet place. Pray without ceasing. He's got to go with you. So it's not just about seeking more time. It's about pressing in to know him. If my, listen to this, look at this part. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Most of us don't even believe that's possible. So we don't press in. We don't try to learn to remain in him. We don't try to know him because we have believed the lie that God just does whatever God wants. All I got to do is offer up a prayer. God, if it's your will. That's what we do. We've believed that lie. I mean, what about when God says, if you seek me diligently, you will find me. What about the line that says, I reward those who diligently seek me. I mean, this is, it's the truth. You know why he can, if you remain in him, he can grant whatever you want? Because you're no longer asking what you want. You're asking for what he wants because you're connected to him. It's like you share a brain. It's called the mind of Christ. But we think as long as I show up on Sunday or I read a couple verses in the morning that I'm going to have it. No, we've got to make every part of our lives worship. Look at this. When you produce much fruit, you're my disciples, and it brings great glory to my Father. He wants this for you so bad. He wants you to produce fruit more than you want to produce fruit. 
But instead of trying to reach for fruit, start planting seeds. Start cultivating your relationship with him. Because there's freedom in his presence. There's joy in his presence. There's healing in his presence. Here's the thing. When Paul and Silas praised in the prison cell, people's chains fell off. I mean, I love when people get up and they get the microphone during ministry moments and they share a word. But you know what I would rather see? I would rather see us all so engaged from moment one that we just start engaging God. And then someone comes up and says, hey, I came in here with some chains and they fell off. And no one even had to move. But you know how we come in? We come in, barely get in here on time. We sit down. We, we, we're looking around. We're, oh, I don't like this song. I mean, if we came here worshiping him already, I think our worship would be different as we got in the room. And for some of you, they try to get here at 10. New goal, 9.30. And then you'll be in a seat at 10 with your heart engaged, ready to go. Because here's I want you to bear fruit too, but you're either going to bear fruit or you're going to be frustrated all your life. And some of you today are here, and this message has the temptation to make you feel worse about yourself. I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't. I hope it draws you into a better relationship with God than you've ever experienced. See, seek God first, and then you truly know God. Know God, and you truly become like him. Once you become like him, out of that is just going to flow God-designed, God-sanctioned, God-empowered works that bring glory to the king and touch the earth. Where you work, God wants to bring glory there. He wants it to flow out of you. But it comes from knowing him. I felt like I got a specific word as I put this together this week. For those of you in the, in the room who are weary and you're burdened, you are trying your best to bear fruit. I mean, I'm talking tears on the carpet. You are so tired of the addiction. You're so tired of the, the lack of fruit. You're so tired of your failures. You're so tired and you're trying to measure up and you're trying to meet expectations and you're trying to make it happen and you are tired. Here's the word for you. Come to me. Come to me. If the, the yoke that you're wearing, the yoke of man, the yoke of expectations, the yoke of, of religion, if you're, if you're just beaten down by that thing, you need his yoke because his yoke is easy. It's easy. And his burden is light. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to face difficulty. You are. But here's the thing. Let me, let me just explain it the way I know in my life, and then we're going to close. See, because as a pastor, there's a lot of expectations. I mean, as a pastor, you've got expectations on yourself, how you should live. You've got the Bible and what the Bible says about his past. I mean, do you ever read that list? You've got to be like faithful and temperate. You've got to be able to be kind to those who are, are argumentative. I mean, it's a heavy list. And then you have the expectations of everyone in the church. Because everybody believes that you should do something different. Well, Pastor, you're not doing this. And Pastor, you're not doing that. And Pastor, you're not doing this. And Pastor, you're not doing that. And so it's easy for the role of pastor to become a burden that's hard. And that's why pastors are leaving the ministry in droves. And here's the thing. It's not your fault. It's not the church's fault. 
It's the pastor's fault. You've never been called to carry that yoke. You've been called to come to him and carry his yoke. And when he says his yoke is easy, it's not that easy. Because when you start carrying his yoke, people don't like that. Because you're not carrying their yoke. You're not carrying their expectations. And so this is, I'm talking about a pastor now, but you, you know what I'm talking about? When you start carrying Jesus' yoke, you know, your kids aren't going to be happy. Your spouse might not be happy. Because you're, you're no longer carrying their yoke, you're calling, carrying his yoke. You're not rude, you're not mean because you're bearing fruit. But you've got to choose whose yoke you're going to carry, whose burden you're going to carry. Now, his burden is going to make you be on your face at time, crying tears for people to be saved. And so his burden is heavy, but it's light because you don't have to make it happen. You don't have to make it happen. I don't have to save Huron. All I got to do is come to him. All I got to do is stay connected to him. And I'm tempted to try to make it happen. I'm tempted to try to get everybody saved. I'm tempted to get all of you to respond. That's not my job. My job is to come to him. My job is to prepare a place for you and to call you to him. Your job is to come to him. And not just at this altar, but every moment of every day, every area of your life. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to show you, play a simple song at the end of this service. And it's a, it's a simple song that just says, I want more. I want more. And here's the thing. I don't want you to sing it. I don't want you to sing it. Someone gave me a word of the Lord today. Be still and know that I'm God. I want you to listen. I don't want you to talk. I want you to listen. But I want you to move. I want you to move. As, as the song begins to play, I want you to respond. I prayed over these chairs again this week that you would be, begin an encounter with God, that there would be something more for you at this altar than, than, than you've had before. There'd be an encounter that you've not had before with him, that he'd draw you into a greater place of intimacy with you. For those of you especially that you're weary and you're burdened, oh, there is a place for you. I believe it. There's a place for you. You're gonna come and find rest today, but you gotta, you gotta stay in that rest. And so as this song plays, I want to invite you to find a place. And then it'll be a few moments, and then I'll dismiss, and I'll close in prayer. But let's find a place. Let's make this our prayer as we close this service today. I just want more of him. I just want more. Find a place. I, I just, just want, want more. more you, connect yourself God. to him right now. More Begin to connect yourself you. to him. If you need to repent, repent. Don't fight it. Humble yourself before him. Press into him. If you're weary, come to him right now. Come to him. Don't wait. Come to him. He wants you to produce fruit. Tired of battling addictions. Let him fill you up. Come to him. Come to him. Come to him. Don't let this moment pass you by. Respond to him. Respond to him. 
If you need to come and sit in the front, if you need to come and kneel in the front, you need to come and stand in the front, but respond to him right now. Don't sit in, don't be idle right now. Move, come to him. Come to him. Answer his call, God. He's calling you to come. Respond to him. Make room for him right now. We want more of you. We want more of you. Come and reach into my heart. Come.